So Money Episode 215, Millionaire Next Door, Jeff Johnson. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy Friday. Happy Millionaire Next Door Week. We are rounding out our series today with a Penn State grad, a fellow Penn State grad. I didn't know he was a Penn State grad until after we booked him, but uh, very excited to introduce all of you to Jeff Johnson. He is a millionaire next door at the ripe age of 37. He and his wife, Amanda, follow disciplined, pragmatic, and balanced financial behaviors, and they've acquired a net worth of more than a million dollars. And they say they live a rather modest lifestyle in a two-bedroom townhouse in New Jersey. They enjoy the simple life experiences with their family and friends. Now, Jeff and Amanda met while they were at Penn State University, similar to my husband and I. And after graduating, they had a five-year long-distance relationship. Amanda actually completed her doctorate of clinical psychology during that time frame. And during their relationship, while they were long-distance, they had become each accustomed to certain conservative spending habits that they've now continued to follow during their marriage. Isn't it nice to find your financial soulmate? That's Jeff and Amanda. And since getting married nine years ago, they've been able to successfully eliminate all their debt, including car loan and student loans. They do still have a modest mortgage. And as I said, in the process, they have earned themselves over a million dollars. They reached that at age 34. They're 37 now. Jeff currently works at a pharmaceutical company. Amanda worked as a staff psychologist at a local college before taking a leave of absence to raise their two-year-old son. Some of the takeaways from our conversation with Jeff, we go down memory lane and we talk about how he opened up his first bank account at nine and his first IRA at 18, how he closely tracks his expenses and his investments. What tool does he use? How Jeff and Amanda avoid the noise, quote unquote noise, to stay focused on their finances and how they don't let outsiders influence their spending behaviors. And this is interesting, how to put things into a value context, but still treat yourself and how to know when something is really worth it. Here we go. Millionaire Next Door, Jeff Johnson. Jeff Johnson, welcome to So Money, my final millionaire uh, next door airing this week. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Farnoosh, and uh, thank you for uh, 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 doing this podcast and letting uh, people listen to it. I have one of those people that have one of these long commutes in the morning, so uh, I get my daily dose of So Money. So I, uh, it always is... Uh, uh, listen to it, enjoy it, and certainly learn something new from each one of your interviews. So, oh well, thank you. Yeah. That's really nice of you. Do you do you drive to work? Do you? No, I actually had a, tr- a train commute. So okay, so that's yeah. nice. You don't have to like you're not multitasking, listening no. to the show and, and and dealing with traffic. Good. Well, I have to say I got several entries to be uh, featured on the podcast for this particular thematic week of millionaires next door. We picked you, my team and I, because we just really enjoyed, uh, your explanation of how you reached millionaire status. I should mention your, you and your wife, Amanda, both 
still very young, 37 years old. I also like the fact that you were Penn State grads, although I will admit I did not know this until after I selected you. So I'm not, I'm not playing favorites, but uh, certainly now knowing this, it's, it's nice to hear. And uh, so I would love Jeff, if we could just start with uh, a little bit of your backstory. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you generally got to being the millionaires next door and why did you want to be a part of this interview? I mean, what, what compelled you to share your, your story? Well, I, I guess one of the things that, that had hit me recently, um, we're, we're like, we're a very, uh, you know, common, uh, down to earth couple. And, uh, we have uh, a lot of close friends in, in very similar situations to we are. We have a two year old son and, and one of my close friends who I've known from high school, he and I got together a couple of weeks ago and he's in the process of buying a house. And I could tell that when we were having a conversation, he was rather stressed about things. And, I, you know, and the more the onion was peeled away and the layers you, you uncover, I got to the point where he was basically saying that, you know, his financial situation was was so difficult and he was, you know, kind of getting a very frustrated about buying the house and things like that. And he got into this long conversation about how, uh, frankly, he has a great job, he earns good money, but he's cash flow negative and, and at the end of the year. And I, and I kind of just almost was in shock because here's a guy that's so bright. I've known him for so long. He's one of the most intelligent people I know, but frankly, he has, hasn't been able to manage his finances uh, closely or appropriately. Um, and it, it kind of just struck me that, well, maybe, maybe if I'm, you know, Amanda and I can kind of, you know, just relate to some of the things that we've done, done or, or dealt with through our, you know, marriage and even before we got married and talk to some of some of the habits we do, it, it, it may not be so onerous. And, and frankly, I was, you know, I, it just, it just kind of opened my eyes to see that even people with really great jobs and, and really high incomes may not be managing their finances so well. And if you do or look at it a, a unique way, it, it doesn't have to be so onerous to, to save and uh, start building a net worth and you know, get to that you know peace of mind where you don't have to worry about uh, you know, whether or not you have money in the bank or, or, or if you're going to be able to make the next mortgage payment. You're so right about that. You know, I often read stories about people who are mismanaging their money and you wouldn't think they would have a problem. They're making six figures. But as I always say, it's not about how much you earn. It's about how you manage the money that you earn. Of course, earning a certain amount helps. Uh, as they say, I think $70,000 a year or more um, is sort of the you you know, to be to earn your happiness, you want to earn at least $70,000. Uh, but after that, it doesn't really relate to any sort of emotional upside. It's really about how you manage that money. Why do you think you two, you and your wife, Amanda, were able to reach millionaire status at such a young age? I understand there's a lot of planning that goes behind this, but where did you begin? Like, how did the yeah. conversation first start? Well, I, I think it, it really starts back to, I, I guess I've kind of been a little bit of a I'm not the smartest kid, but I always have been a relatively good preparer. So um, some of the some of the early financial habits uh, as a child, I, I always had a job as far back as I can remember. I was mowing people's lawns, you know, I was babysitting some of the neighbors' kids. I the first day that I could get my working papers, I was working at a local pharmacy, um, and and it and it I guess it led to me to to just save up over time, and and I guess I had a had a mentor that. Uh, his suggestion was when I was, you know, growing up, he said, you know, 
should think about opening up an IRA. So I didn't know what an IRA was, but I looked into it. And I actually opened up my, my first IRA at 18 years old and, and, you know, didn't have a ton of money from whatever I was making during the summer or around school. But I've opened it up and I've contrib- continued to contribute to it. Um, so I started very early. And frankly, the other, you know, let's say biggest, uh, you know, moment in my life in terms of, tr- you know, financial uh, tracking or success was, um, frankly, starting a, a Quicken database file um, at, at, in 1996. So every basic um, you know, transaction or, or itemization or purchase or investment or whatever that we do is logged on a daily basis into a, a database and we track uh, our spending, our, our income, the investments. And, and yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, you know, of, of a, of sometimes a chore, um, but you got to have intestinal fortitude and, and you'll learn that when you have market rises and market downturns like we had about, you know, seven years ago. It's not fun to watch your investments go down, but you have to keep, you know, contributing because, you know, in the long run, things will come back. And I think that, you know, starting early and tracking and, and monitoring your spending and, and, and investments often have ultimately led myself and Amanda to be able to, you know, focus on what we want to accomplish and, and really hone where we want to spend our money and what we may maybe not need to spend our money on. Right. And we should mention the two of you are not financial financial, uh, financial whizzes. You're not trained in, in finance. Um, this is just something that you have taken an interest in. And I understand reached a million dollar net worth by 34. So three years ago, what's the goal? What's the next goal? I mean, do you plan to, as some of my other millionaires retire early? I would hope to, uh, frankly, you know, it's, it's always interesting to read about and some of your you know, recent guests, you know, the Mr. Money mustaches and, and people that have been able to retire early. I mean, I mean, sure, it would be great to, to retire early. And I, and I think one of those things that we've been able to afford um, with, you know, saving and being thoughtful in the approaches, my wife did, you know, take a leave of absence from work um, when, when our son was born. Um, so we had enough in savings and, you know, we've, we've prepared ourselves that she could step away from work and we would be able to live off of one income. Um, so I, whether I, I, I think one thing to always keep in mind is, and sometimes I always get focused on, well, if I had this amount of money in the bank, we'd be fine. Well, that's, that's all well and good, but, uh, sometimes I, I can't focus on the end. Sometimes I got to look at and remember that it's the journey to get to the destination and, and, and make sure that you, you enjoy your life too, because if you, you just are, are in there day in, day out trying to get to a, a fixed number, you may, it may be a very long and very, very tiresome journey, but if you can learn to appreciate the things along the way, I think, uh, I think it'll be best for everybody. Are there still some things that stress you out when it comes to your financial future or your current expenses? I mean, does having a million dollars in the bank really feel that good or do you still have concerns? Oh, I think, I think you still have concerns. Um, uh, but it, the, the one thing as a, that at least I know is I don't have to worry about, or, or my wife and I don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to be able to afford to pay for our child's education. We know that if something was to happen and I'd lose my job, we are in a perfectly good financial situation to handle um, the emergencies that come up in life. Um, if the car breaks down, if the furnace goes, these things, they always happen, right? I mean, it, it happens to everybody and hopefully they don't happen too close together. But if, the, if and when they do happen, financially, we're able to handle that. And it's, it's just minor speed bump in the road. It's not going to completely destroy us. And we're going to have to max out our credit cards or anything like that. So 
yeah, I think you sort of get stressed by it. But at the same time, I think having that, you know, the, the financial security just in the back of your mind makes you be able to sleep a little bit easier at night. And so your friends, do they know that you're millionaires? Do the neighbors know you're millionaires? Uh, are you, or do you live a pretty, uh, you know, under the radar millionaire lifestyle? I think we live a very, very <laughs> under the radar lifestyle. Um, you know, it's one of these things where I, I the, the, my friends at work, they always tease me because, you know, I'm the, I'm the proverbial guy that always brings his lunch to work. Right. Uh, but you know, that's a decision that, that I've made. And, and it's just one of these things where, you know, if I can save, if I can save a certain amount of money over a certain period of time, I'd, I, I want to put a, an inherent value on something. So if, if, if I buy my lunch every day at work for a year, it's going to cost me X number of thousands of dollars after taxes. Well, I'd rather think of that and say, well, could I save that or could we use it for a vacation or could we buy a new computer? I mean, whatever it is, I think the value that I would get out of something else is worth it to me than buying lunch at work every day. But mm-hmm. but I also think that, you know, while while that you you also need to treat yourself too. <laughs> That's why I don't I don't ever fault anybody for having the the daily coffee habit or anything like that. If you truly enjoy going to, you know, wherever you're you know, and getting that, you know, the daily latte cliche, I guess, on a daily basis, that's great. You should do that because if you're getting a value out of that, it's fine. So I do think you do need to treat yourself. And, and I, we do. We do treat our family occasionally to, you know, we go out to eat once a week. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of these things where you kind of have to kind of have to live a little too. You can't live so um, Spartan to the point that you're not living life either. And, right. And, and you certainly don't want to and, I, and there's, there's the, you know, the definition between, you know, what's being frugal and what's being cheap, right? I think, yeah, we're, we're, we're relatively frugal and we're relatively, you know, thoughtful with our spending, but we are certainly not cheap. We certainly don't, you know, you know cut corners to the point where, um, you know, where people think that we're, we're being nasty or, or being, um, you know, it's, it's just not thoughtful. I, I just, I think that's, uh, I think that's a very negative way to go. So I think it's balancing the the appropriateness of, you know, put things into a value value proposition, but also learn to, to treat yourself regularly and modestly as well. When you reached millionaire status at 34, did it feel like you thought it would? Did you it, feel I like mean, you had really accomplished was, a, a big deal? Was it a big deal? I was kind of funny. So as I said, I have still have this Quicken file. So we download our, you know, our, our investment quotes and things like that every day. So we, we pretty much know what our net worth is right to the right to the hour, right to the day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when it happened, you know, I can still give you the day. I remember it. I downloaded it. I turned to my wife. I said, well, I, I, I guess we hit it. And I actually took a screenshot of the, the, the picture just to, to save it just because, you know, you got to you got it for a milestone. Right. I think we laughed about it. And I think. We said, well, we got to do something to celebrate. And I think we went out for ice cream or something. It was really one of these things where, well, it doesn't change who we are. It doesn't define who we are. It just was a milestone. But it was kind of one of those things where if, I guess I always thought maybe once we got to that, it would be something significant. But it really it really didn't wind up being all that significant, I guess. Hmm. I hope you got some extra toppings. You yeah. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could have you splurged. So let's let's turn now to, some, to my traditional questions. Now that we know kind of a little bit about your story, and hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about the steps that you took through these questions. But what would you say is your overarching financial philosophy that uh, that really speaks to becoming a millionaire next door? Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I think it's quite put simply, start early and track often. You know, whenever you get that first job, 
contribute to the 401k, get the full company match. Um, if you can max out your 401k, do it. I mean, I, I mean, we've been maxing out our, our 401ks with our, with our respective employers as soon as we possibly could. Um, again, diversify appropriately. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, um, and really track often. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't say this enough. I mean, we know exactly how much we spend on certain categories over periods of time. And it allows you to budget and plan for how much do you think this, this, or if we were to move, or if we were to, you know, if my wife was to choose to, to take a leave of absence from work, we know exactly how much that, you know, we're going to be able to, to afford if, we're, if we don't have that income coming anymore. And if, and if we need to, then we'll have to cut back. Luckily, mm-hmm. we didn't have to cut back and we were able to still maintain our lifestyle. So, but not ha- but unless you have that data and unless you're able to figure out how much you're spending on these categories, it, it's a very hard question to figure out um, where you are and where do you want to you, know, you want to be. So, really, my philosophy is really start as early as you can and track often. You talked a lot about having early influences in your life, those mentors telling you to say, you know, open up the IRA. Um, you got your first bank account when you were nine. What would you say was the most pivotal childhood memory about money? I guess maybe it wasn't a childhood. Um, but I guess the, the pivotal memory for me was my, my maternal grandparents. I was very close with, uh, they lived through the depression they were absolutely phenomenal savers. They were the quintessential millionaires next door, frankly, for Anoush. And, 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 uh, and the thing is, what I, what I appreciated from them was the fact that they never owned a stock in their, in their lives, but they had so many different bank accounts and CDs that they were had that they, you know, they, they just were able to manage their money so appropriately that they, they never really had to worry about whether or not you know, you know, they were going to, they're going to have enough money in their retirement and things like that. But the one thing that I truly do remember from my, my grandmother, um, after my, after my grandfather passed away, she said to me, I don't know why we saved so much. I don't know why we saved so much. And I think, you know, they were so focused on saving and so focused on, you know, living, you know, as I said, so frugally that maybe she wished she had enjoyed it a little bit more. And so that's one of those things that I always try to make sure that, you know, you know, myself and Amanda try to do is, yes, we can be thoughtful. Yes, we can be frugal. Yes, we can track our spending. But at the same time, we have to live and we have to enjoy things. I'm not saying we have to go out and you know, go out to eat every night or, or whatever, but we do have to go on vacations. We do have to, you know, you know, whatever it would be, you know, buy our, buy, you know, take our son to the zoo, whatever we want to do some new, take, do, do something new and, and experience something new. I mean, uh, so I think that 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 one statement by my grandmother, um, as she was getting closer to the end of her life, really impacted me to say it's great to save, but you also have to you also have to spend and, and you have to enjoy your life, too. I'm glad that's the lesson you took away from that. I'm really glad that you are observant enough to notice that, you know, you need to enjoy your money because really at the end of the day, you want to be able to say I had a great life and I afforded myself a lot of opportunities and my money was able to support me in, in things that I needed and also things that I wanted. Why not? Right. What would you say along the way was your number one failure or regret financially speaking? Okay. So 
Even yeah, so, Millionaires Next Door had I failures. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it, it was a success, but it was a failure, okay, when you look at this. So when I was uh, in, when I, was in uh, I guess, in college, I asked my, my dad, you know, it was, I guess it was around 1997, um, the Steve Jobs had just announced that he's coming back to Apple Computers, and I said, you know what, Dad, I, I think we should buy some Apple stock. And he goes, okay. Well, and I, and I, you know, the iMac was just came out when there was the, the colorful computers and things like that. I, I sold my dad and said, all right, dad, let's, let's buy, let's buy a hundred shares of Apple stock or something like that. And, uh, he said, fine. So he lent me the money. I opened up a brokerage account you know, and bought the, bought the shares and the stock tripled, I think in two years. Or yeah, I think it's tripled in two years. So I, I you know, I went from I don't know, let's say three thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars, and I sold it. I always look back on that because I said, if you just held on to that stock, dummy, you would have probably had about six hundred and fifty thousand dollars right now. Oh, and, and I and I and I and I torture myself with that just because, you you know, while it's great to keep an eye on investments, you also have to remember that. You don't always have to liquidate the whole transaction. You could take some money off the table and let, you know, play with the house's money and let the rest ride. And I guess it was just a, a very good lesson to learn that, you know, sometimes you, you don't have to you, uh, you know, outsmart yourself. And if you just left the money in that uh, in the account and held on to the, the company stock to this day, it would have been a lot more than, than what you had back in, you know, 15 years ago now. But tripling isn't so bad. It's not so bad. So that's why I said it was it was a, it was a success in one hand, but it, it was a. I always look at that as as a failure, just to teach you a lesson to say, you know, it's it's you know, just be thoughtful and you don't always, you know, just always be thoughtful and 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 always keep get at least always keep educating yourself to say you don't always have to get in and get out. You can you know, right. there are other things in in moderation, especially with investments that I've learned over the time. That's a good point. Yeah, it's it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Right. $650,000 would be nice. Oh, uh, it certainly would have helped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys are doing okay. What yeah. would you say it was your so money moment? I mean, we already talked about crossing yeah. that million dollar threshold, but any other times where you just felt as though you and Amanda perhaps felt that you achieved financial, it was a big financial win for the two of you. Yeah, I, th- I think honestly the the you know biggest success was being, a, be, being able to have Amanda stay at home with my son. I, my, my wife is a, very, she has a doctorate in clinical psychology. She's a very well-educated woman. Um, she's one of the most disciplined per, people that I know. Um, but I think when it comes right down to it, the one thing that she always wanted to be was a mother and, um, you know, being able to have her stay at home and, and raise our son and not have to worry about, um, you know, who's going to stay home from work today and things like that. And being able to have that kind of flexibility is probably our so money moment because you know, at the end of the day, it, it is those things, the simple things in life. It's, it's raising your kids. It's, you know, being able to see the moments that, you know, she can capture in pictures or taking them to the park every day. That that's what she enjoys. So being able to, um, you know, let's say allow her that opportunity to, to stay at home from work and be that mother in his life and see the him every day. Um, really, you know, it's, it's, it's my way really to give back to, probably some of the, the, the sacrifices or some of the decisions we made uh, early in our marriage to say, maybe instead of you know, going on a more extravagant vacation, we didn't. Um, or eating out more, we didn't. And we, we it's, it's just, it's just, that's probably our, so, at least my, me, my so money moment. That's a great story. And so she's currently still at home with your uh, two-year-old. That's right. Um, 
That's great. I mean, I think that is a perfect example of allowing your money to afford you the life that you want, the lifestyle that you want. I have to wonder though, is there anything that you, um, that you are depriving yourselves of and it's sort of bothering you, but you're okay with it. It's like a conscious trade-off. Um, but maybe in the future, you're looking forward to incorporating that back into your lifestyle. Oh, I, th- I think certainly we probably should have taken more vacations. Um, in our, you know, we've been married for nine years now. Now that your parents yeah, do now. Yeah, now that we're parents, we need to take more vacations. We probably should be taking more vacations and more time off. I mean, there's, you know, the, the studies are always published online. You know that Americans don't take their vacation. And, and I'm guilty as anyone. So I think that's probably one thing that um, would like to focus on a little bit more of that work-life balance, uh, certainly. Let's uh, discuss habits. Is there a particular habit? I know you probably have many. You have, you know, you track your expenses daily. You know your net worth to the penny at the given hour. But uh, what else have we have we not covered as far as a good habit that you that you take on to help with your with your financials. I think it's a, a way a way that you you look at paying yourself first and and always living under your means. Um, if you focus on what you want to save first, then it's it's much easier to understand what's left over to to spend. And if you have an idea of where you what you want to save or what you want to save by the end of the year or what you want to save by the end of the month, it, it does kind of you know compartmentalize where your spend is going to go. Yes, you'll have to pay the mortgage. Yes, you have to pay the utilities and everything else. But if you kind of have an idea as you're paying yourself first, contributing your 401k and, and making sure that that's all set and automated, it, it really just everything else kind of falls into place. That's number one. Number two, just avoid the noise. And what I mean by this is I, I don't, I, yeah, I do like to to read up in, on, and listen to financial podcasts and, and read the financial you know news and things like that. But I don't let those outside influences distract me. Um, I'm not a doom and gloom specialist. And, and when, when the stock market drops 200 points, I don't freak out and, you know, sell everything. Uh, you know, it's, 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 again, it's, it's the journey. It's not, it's getting to the destination and, and don't let, you know, others, whether that's your friends or your neighbors, or even sometimes your family um, influence your spending behaviors, and that, and that's tough when it comes to children. You know, a lot of people, you know, our friends have a lot of young children, and you know, they they get their kids a lot of nice things and things like that. Maybe we don't always do the spend the, the same amount on our son, but it, it's not because we don't care. It's just because that's just what we're going to. That's how we're going to raise our child. Um, but it's still kind of you still have to try to take a step back and just saying, well it's, it's not, it's not for everybody and everybody has their own decision. And it's not to, it's not to credit, be critical of how they spend their money. It's just making sure that, um, you focus on how you want to behave and not getting, um, influenced by, by some outside uh, force. That's a really good point. I think that, uh, especially as, uh, a younger adult, so, you know, there's a lot of pressure to have a certain lifestyle and even culturally there are expectations of how you should be living your life if you're making a certain salary. You know, I, I hear, I, I at least hear from people uh, on the street, on the subways, you know, and even people I, I associate with say, sometimes I just feel like I, I deserve a certain type of car because I've worked hard for it and I should be able to have this. But it's like, yeah, can you actually afford that though? Uh-huh. And, and, and I think I think that's perfectly fine if you're able to afford it. And, right. And if you're and what I mean by able to afford that is, and again, then again, this is just our definition. There's only two things that you go into debt for: that's education 
and housing. Everything else, you need to have the money if you're going to be able to afford it. Right. And even housing and college, I would say, to an extent, because I think leveraging your $100,000 to go to college, which is not atypical these days, believe it or not, is, I think, uh, a, a poor decision. Uh, oh, of course, maybe if you're getting your MBA from Wharton <laughs> and you have a nice big job waiting for you, that's going to help cover that and more. Okay. But even still, I'd be like, okay, apply for the scholarships, you know, maybe bring in some savings. But I agree, you know, there's, you don't want to be get it taking on debt to have a certain image. Right, right. All right, let's do some so money fill in the blanks, shall we, Jeff? Sure. Are you familiar with this? Very familiar. (laughs) All right. If I won the lottery tomorrow, okay, now you've got a million in the bank. Let's say we multiply that by a hundred, a hundred X. If you get a hundred million dollars dropped off on your doorstep, the first thing I would do is? I'd probably talk to a financial expert to make sure (laughs) that that $100 million lasted my entire life and my, my, my offspring and and their offspring. So, but, but regardless of that, um, the, the things I'd do is, yes, I'd certainly probably retire. Um, I probably would go back to school. Um, and, and I've always been fascinated with, uh, you know, becoming a, a financial planner. So I probably would go back to school and probably get a degree in financial planning. Um, I probably would, uh, geez, I probably would buy my father-in-law a, a tractor uh, just because <laughs> just because he's, he's in central Pennsylvania and, uh, he, that's what he that's what he loves to do and he's always fixing his tractors so i'd probably do that and and but frankly I'd, I'd probably give to um to charities but ultimately i don't i don't think it would ultimately change how amanda and i live or behave it's it's not who we are it's what we want to do and how we how we live our lives so while while i probably would speak with an expert and help set up some of these the, the you know the the systems in place to secure it we, we certainly probably wouldn't change a tremendous amount about ourselves or how we lived and how we value things. I think it's interesting that you're technically a millionaire and you don't have a financial planner. Do you plan to have one one day or do you not feel the need to get someone else in on your decision making? Actually, I, at some point, I probably would like to have an independent person come in and, and look. But in some cases, I do. Uh, again, I, what's been working so far is holding to some very, um, I would say, simple pragmatic strategies um, with with saving. Now, as we get, if it, once we start doing more extensive real, you know, estate planning and things like that, that's where my education, obviously, I'm not there, so I will have to go get a professional and uh, certainly talk through some of these things. But um, for, for, the, for the simple stuff, you know, it, it really is having a good idea as to what are you spending and what are you bringing in. And, and when you have those two, you know, you know, when you have those two numbers down, a lot of the other things fall into place quite easily. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is. Okay. My wife's going to hate this. Um, probably some of my, I, I buy rather expensive dress shirts. And the reason why I buy these expensive dress shirts, because they are non iron and uh-huh. I hate, and I hate to iron. Okay. I, I mean, my mother taught me how to iron, but I still hate it to this day. And I hate p- paying for dry cleaning. So I, I buy rather expensive dress shirts that don't require any, any, any ironing or dry cleaning expense. So that's, that's probably the one thing that I, I, uh, I spend a little bit of money on. You know what? My husband's the same way. And if it means spending 20%, 30% more on a shirt and it's going to save you uh, 30 minutes in the morning from ironing, I'm all for that too. Yep. 
uh, the, my biggest splurge splurge now that I spend a lot of money on and, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way is, you know, I, I don't know if it's a splurge so much as, as, um, I probably could get my hair cut at, you know, the, the seven ninety nine place down the street or things like that. But I, <laughs> there's a, there's a place I go to that I get my hair cut at it. I don't know. It's just kind of one of these old, old school barber shops where they, they still do straight blade, blade uh, shaves and things like that. So I probably wind up getting, spending a lot more than I need to, but I only get a haircut every once in a while anyway. So, but that's probably one of my, you know, where I, I splurge a little bit and, uh, and things like that. I think you can splurge on a yep. haircut. Um, <laughs> I think As I said, like I, I don't know if we splurge a lot, but I guess that's the one area where we probably do. Okay. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? Yeah. being Again, just always trying to focus on the journey, the day-to-day journey of life, not focusing on getting to a dollar figure, not focusing on the next million, but just really focusing on, you know, the day, the, the enjoyment of each day. Um, you know, I, as, I, as I told you, my wife just had a, a you know, a member die in her family that was very close to her. And I think every time you have one of those things happen to you, it always kind of makes you take a step back and is saying, remember, it's, it's the day to day. It's the journey. It's not always the destination of getting to a dollar figure. And it's, you do, even while you can save and be financially, um, secure, you can also live your life and enjoy um, things with uh, your family and your friends. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because yes. So the the I there's well you as a as a fellow Penn Stater you would know about this. Uh, we give very very aggressively to the the dance marathon at, at Penn State every year. Um, my I, I was actually one of the uh, the fundraisers while I was there at school. Um, it's a it's a uh, you know a, a student run. Uh, philanthropy, um, I believe the largest in the country, and it focuses on um, uh, pediatric cancer support. And I just think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal organization. I'm always excited every year when, uh, to see the, the, the amount of money that's raised by those students uh, and the, the university as a whole. You probably sometimes, if you're on the East Coast, you see the kids out there in, in some fall weekends canning. So I like to give a lot of money to that. Um, my wife and I like to give a lot of money to that, as well as our church. Um, so those are the, really the two things that we focus on. Did you ever dance? I did not dance. I did. Yeah. Oh, you did. Well, congratulations. (laughs) I, I, I would not, it would have been, it would have been a very long 48 or or 48 hours if I was to dance for that long. So man, I, I, I don't remember a whole lot, but, um, I do remember finishing the, the dance-a-thon, dance-a-thon and, um, not actually being, I think I was on, a, on a, an adrenaline rush. I wasn't that tired. I didn't actually go to sleep right away. It wasn't until the next day when I felt absolutely horrible. Oh. <laughs> but, and of course, while I was doing it, I, there were moments where I just wanted to curl up into a ball in a corner and hopefully nobody would see me. But, uh, it was a wonderful experience. And like you said, it is, it is actually the biggest philanthropic, uh, event held by any college university in the country at the very least. And I believe they continue to outdo themselves every single year, even during recessions. They are just one of those causes that people, no matter what, want to give to. And I'm, I'm, it's an amazing uh, charity. So cheers to that. Cheers yeah. to Thon. Well, congratulations for dancing while oh, you were there. Thank you. That was many <laughs> years ago. I couldn't probably do it now. And last but not least, I'm Jeff Johnson, and I'm so money because... 
because I have a, a great family, a great partner with my wife who who we're on the same wavelength with, with, you know, we're in control of our finances and our lives and we don't let our finances control us. And cause you're millionaires next door. It, it's a side benefit, but I, really when, I mean, yes, it is nice to, to have the money in the bank, but it, it really is more of you. you know, I, I think when you focus on what it is that you want to get out of life and you can enjoy those simple things, it, it really does a lot of the, the financial stuff. It, you, you just, you, the savings will come, but when you can focus on what you really enjoy and it's those simple things or the simple experiences with your family or friends, the, the savings will come as long as you focus on what's really important. I could not agree more. Thank you so much for being part of our Millionaire Next Door Week, Jeff. Well, thank and you. please share our thanks with your wife and good luck to the both of you. Go state. Yes. Thank you, Farnish. That is a wrap. Thanks to my millionaire guest, Jeff Johnson. If you'd like to read the transcript from this interview, head over to somoneypodcast.com. There you can also leave a comment. Would love to hear from you. And if you've got a question for me, as you know, Saturdays and Sundays, I answer your questions. Click on Ask Farnoosh over at somoneypodcast.com. And there's a very good chance that I will answer it this weekend or the following weekend. And by the way, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, This is how you do it. You go on iTunes, leave a review for this show, tell us what you think. And every Saturday, I select one recent reviewer to win a free 15-minute money session with me. So hope to hear from you. Thanks in advance for your review. And what a week. Some amazing, inspiring stories from everyday Americans, some of them already retired with millions in the bank, millionaires next door. You wouldn't necessarily know it. Thank you to all of them for coming on the show and sharing their stories, their honesty, their openness. We truly appreciate it. Have a so money weekend, everyone.